0: Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. This program is being pre-recorded for this evening, Friday, May 3rd, 2019. This program will be titled, Hitler, Christian, Part 1. And here I am going to hopefully explain why Adolf Hitler was a Christian, and why National socialism was essentially a Christian political philosophy in spite of the protests heard from main from church-going mainstream Christians and non-Christians alike and especially from pagans who somehow insist that Hitler was one of them from Jews who deny that Hitler was a Christian, as if Jews should be any authority whatsoever on what Christianity is. Jews are the last people who should be listened to regarding Christianity. Recently, having presented conversations here with both Dennis Wise and Rosette Delacroix, and it being in the week of Hitler's birthday, This was a subject of both discussions. We just didn't get to speak about this particular subject to the extent that was originally hoped. Now this is the third day since the anniversary of Hitler's death. And while we certainly do not expect him to be resurrected already, it is evident that the entire world will not let his memory rest until the battle which he fought is finally won, as it is certainly not over. That battle can only be won by Joshua Christ, by God himself. I am not going to claim that Hitler or National Socialism were perfect. As no political philosophy is perfect, outside of the Kingdom of God, which all Christians should anticipate, where only Christ rules over us all. Neither am I attempting to worship Adolf Hitler, as certain of my detractors have sometimes claimed, and even the thought of that is repulsive to me. Rather, I only seek to correct the historical record and refute the idea that Hitler and National Socialist Germany were somehow pagan or even atheistic. Since the Second World War, in a process which actually began many decades or even centuries earlier, most Europeans have become completely alienated from the churches, while the Christian churches in America have become completely co-opted as tools to be used by Jewish interests and a truly anti-Christian fervor for Zionism. During that same period, the basic principles of Christianity have been nullified by the secularization of society and the ever-growing effects of pop culture and materialism, accompanied by the ever-increasing acceptance of so-called alternative lifestyles, the advent of a new and worldwide Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the true religious expression of the Jew. So today, many presumed Christians are Christian in name only, and cannot even recognize true Christianity. Pagans also attempt to refute the fact that Hitler was a Christian but neither do they understand true Christianity. Like attempting to nail two boards together without any concept of a hammer. Generally, neither group has the appropriate understanding which is necessary to perceive the Christianity of Adolf Hitler or National Socialism. History is never black and white, and there may have been some non-Christians in the ranks of the National Socialists. However, that does not make National Socialism non-Christian. The pagans have long offered the alleged paganism of Heinrich Himmler as evidence. But Dennis Wise recently uncovered some historical remarks from Himmler, which are quite contrary to the pagan claims. For instance, in the SS as an anti-Bolshevik organization, which was an official publication of the Schutzstaffel, Himmler had written that in this obeying unalterable laws, and that's certainly not a pagan concept, are included the sacred belief of our ancestors that everything on this earth was created by god and inspired by god only foolish malicious and stupid people created this pagan fable the horror stories that our ancestors worshipped gods and trees no they were convinced in god's ancient knowledge and ancient teachings of His divine order of this world, wherein we were created in His image, a strictly biblical concept, and where the plant and animal world coexist. The ideology Himmler reflects in this statement must have come from the Christian Bible. In another statement reflecting his general views on the matter, Himmler is recorded in the Buns Archive which, with having said while in Berlin-Zellendorf on June 28, 1938, that in ideological training, I forbid every attack on Christ as a person since such attacks or insults that Christ was a Jew are unworthy of us and certainly historically not true. This is certainly true. Christ was not a Jew. But the only Christians who know this as an absolute fact are identity Christians. Jesus was not a Jew. Properly, because the Jews of today are not who they claim to be. This can be established from the New Testament as well as from the historians of that period. There were some Israelites in ancient Judea, but the Jews are predominantly descended from Edomites and Canaanites, who had also come to be citizens of ancient Judea and eventually gained political and economic control of the entire province. This process began in the 2nd century BC. And Christ withstood the same infiltrators who have all of Christendom in their grip today. Himmler made this last statement two years after he had officially left the church in 1936. But we must ask, what makes a man a Christian? Church membership? Church attendance? Or the way he lives his life and what he professes from his heart and his conscience. By our Christian identity understanding of Scripture, Himmler was probably a better Christian than most popes. Dennis Wise reproduced these citations of Himmler in Part 19 of his series, The Secret Masonic Victory of World War II. While we have not seen the entire series, and I cannot speak for Dennis. We may conjecture that perhaps he considers the victory Masonic rather than Jewish, because Freemasonry was the foremost vehicle through which Judaism had operated and achieved its political objectives in Europe and America at least until the time of World War II and probably for some time thereafter. Freemasonry is greater in membership than Judaism because it includes so many shiksas, so many allegorical shiksas, so many men who are basically in bed with Jews or Judaism or Jewish ideals to get themselves ahead in society. So they're basically. Sellers of their own birthrights. But as I said in my conversation with Dennis, to me, Freemasonry was assembled from aspects of Talmudism, Neoplatonism, and the Kabbalah, along with a mystic sort of Zionism, all of which indoctrinates white men into something useful for the advancement of the causes of Jewry. Like Islam is Judaism for sand fleas or Arabs, Freemasonry is Judaism for Europeans. Then I also said, but Freemasonry is not the only rabbit hole thrown out there which traps Europeans. You, meaning Dennis Wise, tell me that you have spent a great deal of time arguing with pagans who make these insidious claims that Hitler and the National Socialists were pagan. It is probably true that nothing clouds the issues concerning the last world war in the minds of whites more than the thought that Hitler was a pagan. It is probably the greatest distraction in nationalist circles on the Internet, even more so than re- than the arguments relating to flat earth. Of course, the flat earth arguments are also Never ending. But the truth is immaterial since the arguments themselves only tie up awakening white men and truth seekers in endless squabbles over an ultimately inconsequential matter. That is a rabbit hole. Something which is relatively inconsequential to the immediate circumstances but redirects the energy of those who should otherwise be focusing on resolving the more crucial matters. If National Socialist Germany was a pagan nation, Christians could gloat that it was punished by God and revel in their own self righteousness. That's an easy ticket out. But if National Socialist Germany was truly a Christian nation and if it was a nation which resisted the poison of Judaism and the Jewish subversion of the nations, which Christians have traditionally resisted for nearly 2,000 years, while all the nations involved in the European conflict against Germany were wholly co-opted by Jews and the power of the Jewish banking system, then World War II was indeed a holy war. And that is how Dennis Wise has properly characterized it. Once the Christian underpinnings of National Socialism are recognized, it can no longer be seen apart from its Christian ideals. For that reason, Dennis portrays World War II as a holy war, between the last truly Christian nation and the domination of the world by Jewry, under the guise of either capitalism or communism, it doesn't matter. That is exactly what it was. America may have been a Christian nation at one time, but now it is a nation where Christians worship Jews instead of Jesus. And therefore, Jews are in virtual control in both government and media, as well as the direction of America's churches. It was a holy war. It is a holy war because true Christianity persists, so it is not fully concluded. Yet most of the world's supposed Christians have fought and are fighting on the wrong side. Of that war. There is a video speech available on the internet which records Joseph Goebbels mocking the concept that the National Socialist revival in Germany was purely luck, as the rest of the world was in a deep depression. And in turn, he attributed it to God. Then he mocked the concept that National Socialists were pagan. The translation in the subtitles is not ideal. I will publish the video along with this message. But here it is. Our enemies say, yes, yes, you had luck. And Goebbels' response, yes, luck. Just luck is needed. And that response is quite sarcastic. When a government has no luck, but rather always misfortune, what does that do for the people? It does not speak against us, rather, for us, that we have renewed ourselves, and that God helped us a bit in the process. We haven't peddled that constantly, and we haven't acted as if God is our party leader, like how it was with the other parties, how it was the craze with other parties. But anyways, and is an ellipsis, other parties must have made the claim explicitly that God was their leader. But anyway, getting back to Goebbels, it does not seem as if God is ungracious to us at the moment. If someone from an opposing party has something against us, it is, you are pagans. I can only respond, how so? What's that about? Why do we act like pagans? Is it pagan to organize a winter relief and to thereby feed millions of people? Is it pagan? to give a people its inner peace back? Is it pagan to help one's poor brother and neighbor? Is it pagan to restore the ethic of the family? And is it pagan to give the worker a purpose in life? And is it pagan to rebuild a state on moral principles, to drive out atheism, to cleanse theater and film of the contamination and poison of Jewish liberal Marxism. Is that pagan? If that's paganism, then we certainly give thanks for a Christianity that did the opposite. And again, Goebbels is using sarcasm, because none of those things are pagan. They all reflect true christian values as christians should have no tolerance for evils such as those which were tolerated in weimar germany and which are tolerated throughout europe and america today several years ago here i began a series which i really haven't yet finished and which i would like to return to one day titled Martin Luther in Life and Death. And I believe it's probably 11 or 12 parts as it stands. And it covers the period of time from the Reuchlin Affair, which is when the Jews prevented the burning of the Kabbalahs and Talmuds throughout Germany, And they managed to escape that fate. And they actually managed to disseminate the Kabbalah through the alchemists and alleged academic scholars of Germany and on through Freemasonry. And that was the beginning of that with the Reuchlin affair. But during the rise of Martin Luther, the pagans in Europe who eschewed all Christian moral values, who were hedonistic, the pagans had rallied first to the side of Reuchlin in his defense of the Kabbalah and the Talmud, and when Reuchlin. But, when his horse died in the race, so to speak, because Reuchlin lost his case, but the kabbalas were never burned when Reuchlin's pony died, the pagans rallied to the side of Martin Luther and promoted his works and helped to bring about the Reformation. One notable pagan was Ulrich von Hutten, who was a, a knight and basically who wanted to loot and pillage the Catholic churches and monasteries for his own personal gain. So that is the, the, the explosion of the development of neo-paganism in Europe. That's where it began, is right there in the Reformation, and that's a digression. Continuing with Goebbels, from a seemingly better translation of the last part of the speech, because the portions supplied in, in the video are, are poorly translated. The churches say, It's in your program that you religiously stand on positive Christian ground. Of course. But as much as we are religiously Christian, we'd like the churches to be politically national socialist. In that case we're united. Then nothing makes us apart anymore. We don't want to intrude in the matters of the church either. None of us feels the need to be a political reformer. But on the contrary, We're very earthly-minded. It's not our duty to worry about the afterlife, but rather about this world, the realm of politicians. We therefore want to clearly distinguish these two spheres one from another. We are a political party, so we provide a better existence on earth while the Church sees to it that our people go to heaven. And, of course, we don't necessarily agree with the separation of church and state, but we will leave it for what it is. Like Hitler, Goebbels was raised a Catholic, and these last expressions of his reflect the Catholic training, if Christianity has no efficacy in the world, and I should say we don't necessarily agree with the separation of Christianity and state, because none of the mainstream churches, including the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, none of them are truly Christian. If Christianity has no efficacy in the world, and if governments cannot operate in accord with Christian principles, then Christianity is useless. But Goebbels certainly did explain how National Socialist Germany operated under Christian principles. None of the points upon which Goebbels refuted the idea that National Socialists were pagans can be consistently credited to any of the presumed pagans described in ancient pagan literature. But they are all insisted upon by true Christianity and the Christ of the Gospel accounts. A comparison of Hitler's philosophy as it was expressed in Mein Kampf and as it was implemented in National Socialist Germany certainly does prove that Adolf Hitler was a true Christian and that National Socialism was grounded in Christian principles. Where he said, None of us feels the need to be a political reformer. Goebbels meant that it is not in the sphere of politics to reform the churches. The National Socialists had problems with the churches, but did not want to meddle in church doctrine, ostensibly because they were no theologians, and claimed no authority in that realm. So, in Volume 1, Chapter 12 of Mein Kampf, Hitler explains why he was unhappy with the churches, in part, and he wrote, The movement steadfastly refuses to take up any stand in regard to those problems, which are either outside of its sphere of political work, or seem to have no fundamental importance for us. It does not aim at bringing about a religious reformation, but rather a political reorganization of our people. It looks upon the two religious denominations as equally valuable mainstays for the existence of our people. And therefore it makes war on all those parties which would degrade this foundation on which the religious and moral stability of our people is based, to an instrument in the service of party interests. In other words, they wouldn't degrade either of the two denominations to an instrument in the service of party interests. The two religious denominations being discussed here are the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran churches. Hitler left little room for any esteem of paganism or any other non-Christian religion in his political philosophy. However, he was in many ways unhappy with the churches. One significant reason for Hitler's disenchantment with the churches is expressed in Volume 1, Chapter 10 of Mein Kampf, which is titled, Why the Second Reich Collapsed. While the two Christian denominations maintained missions in Asia and Africa for the purpose of securing new adherence to the faith, these same denominations were losing millions and millions of their adherents at home in Europe. These former adherents either gave up religion wholly as a directive force in their lives, or they adopted their own interpretation of it. The consequences of this were especially felt in the moral life of the country. In parentheses it may be remarked that the progress made by the missions— in spreading the Christian faith abroad was only quite modest in comparison with the spread of Mohammedanism. Of course, identity Christians would agree that churches do not need to send missionaries to Africa at all and that Christianity does not prosper among them. And we can add Asia to that list. Neither should Africans be brought into European nations, as Hitler had said in Volume 2, Chapter 2 of Mein Kampf, subtitled The State, but it is almost inconceivable how such a mistake could be made as to think that a nigger or a Chinaman will become a German German because he has learned a German language and is willing to speak German for the future and even to cast his vote for a German political party. Our bourgeois nationalists, that's the equivalent of these alt-right civic nationalists here in America, our bourgeois nationalists, the William Buckley, Jared Taylor crowd, could never clearly see That such a process of Germanization is in reality de-Germanization. For even if all the outstanding and visible differences between the various peoples could be bridged over and finally wiped out by the use of a common language, that would produce a process of bastardization which in this case would not signify Germanization, but the annihilation of the German element. In the course of history, it has happened only too often that a conquering race succeeded by external force in compelling the people whom they subjected to speak the tongue of the conqueror, and that after a thousand years, their language was spoken by another people, and that thus... The Conqueror finally turned out to be the Conquered. Just look at Mexico and all of Latin America after only a couple of hundred years. In this, Hitler was right. The German churches should have care only for the German people. Paul of Tarsus left no instructions for churches to evangelize other races. But in fact, towards the end of his own ministry, he said that I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, when one examines the historical lists. There are no black Africans, brown Arabs, or yellow Asians among those 12 tribes, and therefore Paul wrote no epistles to any of them. Now the National Socialists did not understand the implications of that, but instead they naturally understood that the primary care which Christians should have is for their own people. That concept is also expressed in the Gospel. Hitler also criticized the churches for forcing its officials to be celibate, and he understood that there was no real basis for the practice in Scripture. So, where he wrote of eugenics, he also criticized the practice of celibacy in the priesthood, and he said in Volume 2, Chapter 2 of Mein Kampf, the Weltanschauung, or Worldview, which bases the state on the racial idea, must finally succeed in bringing about a nobler era in which men will no longer pay exclusive attention to breeding and rearing pedigree dogs and horses and cats, but will endeavor to improve the breed of the human race itself. That will be an era of silence and renunciation for one class of people Namely, Jews, while the others will give their gifts and make their sacrifices joyfully. That such a mentality may be possible cannot be denied in the world where hundreds and thousands accept the principle of celibacy from their own choice without being obliged or pledged to do so by anything except an ecclesiastical precept. Why should it not be possible to induce people to make this sacrifice if, instead of such a precept, they were simply told that they ought to put an end to this truly original sin of racial corruption, original sin being a Christian concept, which is steadily being passed from one generation to another? Jews and other mongrels become a self-replicating genetic disorder, a disease. And further, they ought to be brought to realize that it is their bounden duty to give to the Almighty Creator beings such as He Himself made to His own image. In other words, one should marry a spouse of their own kind. Hitler was preaching against race-mixing and the perpetuation of certain diseases and disabilities that were believed to be the results of racial corruption by advocating celibacy among such people. Of course, Identity Christians are fully agreeable to those basic precepts of National Socialism that the care of any worldly government or any church should be for its own people and not to destroy its people with care for aliens or bastards. And while we may not fully agree with the doctrines of the early 20th century eugenics movement, even the scripture recognized and labeled men of Belial, or worthless men, whether or not they were Israelites. Furthermore, what Hitler had said about the importation of aliens, resulting in the ultimate destruction of the host nation, is the first lesson in the Bible concerning the ancient kingdoms of Israel. They were told to drive out all of the Canaanites, and when they failed the Canaanites ultimately succeeded in corrupting the kingdom, and that caused its ultimate demise. They were explicitly warned that would happen, and rather than obey the warning, they sought to acclimate their enemies, and it cost them their entire heritage. They sought to acclimate their enemies to a position Of subservience. But the Christianity of National Socialism is much deeper than any general agreement with the Christian identity understanding of race and scripture. To demonstrate that, much of the following material is adapted from my commentary on the Gospel of Matthew particularly on Matthew chapter 6, from my June 2013 presentation of National Socialist German Economic Policy, and from my first discussions of Hitler and Christianity presented at the Mein Kampf Project in the autumn of 2009. In Matthew chapter 6, Christ informs us that a man cannot serve both God God and wealth, or mammon, which is also a rebuke to the individualism such as we find today in our consumer-oriented society. No one is able to serve two masters, for either he would hate the one and love the other, or he would endure the one and despise the other. You are not able to serve God And riches, mammon, is the name of the Syrian god of wealth. So, we had translated the word as riches in order to make its meaning more clear. Christ was not a Marxist, but he would also certainly despise capitalism. Today, our capitalist society has once again made a god out of money. And that same phenomenon had infected 19th-century Germany. So Hitler wrote the following in Volume 1, Chapter 10 of Mein Kampf, which is titled, Why the Second Reich Collapsed. In proportion to the extent that commerce assumed definite control of the state, as it has every state in modern times, money became more and more of a god whom all had to serve and bow down to, just as the Jews had professed they would do in the protocols of Zion, that gold would become the new king. Heavenly gods became more and more old-fashioned and were laid away in the corners to make room for the worship of mammon, a Christian term we really only know that term from our New Testament, and perhaps, but I'm not sure, perhaps a few old inscriptions, but we really only know the term from the New Testament. Heavenly gods became more and more old-fashioned and were laid away in the corners to make room for the worship of mammon. And thus began a period of utter degeneration, which became specially pernicious because it set in at the time when the nation was far more than ever in need of an exalted idea, for a critical hour was threatening. Germany should have been prepared to protect with the sword her efforts to win her own daily bread in a peaceful way. Hitler went on to describe how the Jew ultimately undermined the governments of Europe as money became God, even to the point that Jewish bankers were granted titles of nobility, and the nobility began intermarrying with those Jews. He explained how this happened in Prussia, and it also happened in England, probably at an even greater magnitude. Notably, Hitler described the phenomenon in the same manner that Christ had described it and agreed with the principles which Christ had explained. Elsewhere, Christ had told his followers that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, which is recorded in three of the Gospels he did not mean that they must also be crucified, but rather that they should spend their lives for the benefit of their brethren, which is what he had done. So we read in Matthew chapter 20, You know that the princes of the nations exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Then we read in John chapter 15, If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Christian concept of community, the Christian concept of the kingdom of heaven, begins with the principle of self-sacrifice for the benefit of one's own brethren. There are many other scriptures which corroborate this assertion. For instance, those who sought to follow Christ or who joined the earliest Christian communities described in the Gospels and the Book of Acts pledged a part or even all of their assets to the poor or to the community in general. This aspect of Christianity is also a foundational block of National Socialism, a foundational principle. But as a general principle, it is not found in the pagan literature. Adolf Hitler also upheld this Christian principle of individual sacrifice for the benefit of the community or nation, which was an important part of National Socialism. So he wrote the following in Volume 1, Chapter 11 of Mein Kampf, the chapter subtitled Race and People. In the German language, we have a word which admirably expresses this underlying spirit of all work. It is Flickterfühlung, which means the service of the common weal or commonwealth before the consideration of one's own interests. The fundamental spirit out of which this kind of activity springs is the contradistinction of egotism, and we call it idealism. By this we mean to signify the willingness of the individual to make sacrifices for the community and his fellow men. To this kind of mentality. The Aryan owes his position in the world, and the world is indebted to the Aryan mind for having developed the concept of mankind. For it is out of this spirit alone that the creative force has come, which in a unique way, combined with robust muscular power, with a first-class intellect, and thus created the monuments of human civilization. Then, taking this concept a step further, he said in Volume 2, Chapter 2 of Mein Kampf, subtitled The State, the man who loves his nation can prove the sincerity of this sentiment only by being ready to make sacrifices for the nation's welfare. There is no such thing as a national sentiment which is directed towards personal interests. And there is no such thing as a nationalism that embraces only certain classes, the Bible calls that, respective persons. And it is described in that exact way as the favoring of persons from certain classes. In chapter 2 of the Epistle of James, Returning to Hitler, hurrying, or cheering, proves nothing and does not confer the right to call oneself national, if behind that shout there is no sincere preoccupation for the conservation of the nation's well-being. One can be proud of one's people, only if there is no class of which one need to be ashamed. When one half of a nation is sunk in misery and worn out by hard distress, or even depraved or degenerate, like we see in America today, that nation presents such an unattractive picture that nobody can feel proud to belong to it. It is only when a nation is sound in all its members, physically and morally, that the joy of belonging to it can be properly intensified to the supreme feeling which we call national pride. But this pride, in its highest form, can only be felt by those who know the greatness of their nation. Paraphrasing Christ Paraphrasing, Christ had said that if one desires to follow after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This statement reflects one of the most important principles of Christianity, which most Christians today are not even cognizant of, even among those who claim to be identity Christians. We should give our lives for our brethren as Christ gave his life for us. That does not necessarily mean that we must die for our race, except, of course, if it were truly necessary. But rather, it means that we should devote our lives to our race, whether in life or by death. Germany's Christian government under Adolf Hitler actually built that precept into their political philosophy that an individual should live for the sake of his nation and devote his life to its well-being. If we all lived in such a manner that we put the interests of our kinsmen ahead of our own, then we would have heaven indeed. Some of our own Christian states here in America were founded on the same principle of service of the common weal which is what the word commonwealth means. Of course, it does not mean forced redistribution of wealth and welfare handouts. Massachusetts, Virginia, Kentucky, they didn't start out as Marxist states. The American commonwealth states were not originally Marxist. They were Christian. Christianity denies handouts to those who are able to work. For that, we should compare Hitler's condemnation of state-mandated charity in Mein Kampf to the words of Paul of Tarsus in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. From Mein Kampf, volume 1, chapter 2, During my struggle for existence in Vienna, I perceived very clearly that the aim of all social activity must never be merely charitable relief. Which is ridiculous and useless, but it must rather be a means to find a way of eliminating the fundamental deficiencies in our economic and cultural life, deficiencies which necessarily bring about the degradation of the individual or at least lead him towards such degradation. Now, from Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3, from verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Apparat chicks and bureaucrats would be such busybodies. Cops would be such busybodies to a great degree. The famous 14 words were actually taken from Adolf Hitler, but they were watered down in a fashion which unrighteously removes God from the equation. Hitler actually wrote in Volume 1, Chapter 9 of Mein Kampf, what we have to fight for is the necessary security for the existence and increase of our race and people the subsistence of its children, and the maintenance of our racial stock unmixed, the freedom and independence of the fatherland, so that our people may be enabled to fulfill the mission assigned to it by the Creator. There are your 14 words. They're more like several dozen words. I may add once again, that to build the kingdom of heaven, which Hitler understood that only the Aryan man could do. The idea of giving one's life for one's people does not necessarily mean dying for them. What it means is that one should devote his life to their well-being. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Hitler's own thought in this area is a perfect product of the gospel, and he stressed the need for individual sacrifice on behalf of the race through his writings and speeches. That is true socialism, but it is not Marxism. It is not forced redistribution of wealth. It is not free handouts to those who won't work financed by those who do work. As Paul had said, if a man doesn't work, then neither should he eat. Now, to examine a few other New Testament scriptures to further demonstrate that this self-sacrifice is a fundamental Christian principle. From John chapter 10, I And the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. They're not Kaffirs, (laughs) Ethiopians, or Chinamen. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life for the sheep, that I might take it again. From Matthew, because the Arian man should know that he has an eternal spirit. From Matthew chapter 10, And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. In other words, if you love doing things for yourself, If you work only for your own personal interests, you will lose your life. And he that loses his life for my sake, he that sacrifices his life for his people, shall find it. From Matthew chapter 23, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You humble yourself by being willing to forego your own personal interests for the benefit of your people. It is evident from these and other scriptures that we are to follow the example of Christ by giving up or by devoting our lives to the benefit of our kindred, which is the nation in the proper sense and usage of the term, not as a political and geographic entity, but as a single race of people living together under one government as Hitler envisioned the Germany of his future. If Christians devoted each of their lives to their nation rather than to their own self-enrichment, how much better off the nation would be as a whole? And Yahweh God would surely reward the individual who did these things. What follows are some quotes from Mein Kampf would surely demonstrate that Hitler had fully incorporated this Christian philosophy into his own political philosophy. From Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 4. The sacrifice of the individual existence is necessary in order to assure the conservation of the race. Hence it is that the most essential condition for the establishment and maintenance of a state is a certain feeling of solidarity founded in in an identity of character and race and in a resolute readiness to defend these at all costs. An identity of character and race. My sheep, they know me. I know them. Twelve tribes. Again from Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 10. The right to personal freedom comes second in importance to the duty of maintaining the race. Some people say Hitler was not a racist, but yes, he was a racist. He just didn't express unnecessary hatred for other races. He's a politician in Germany seeking a Germany for Germans. Why did he have to do that? But he did hate the idea that other races could somehow become German, as we have shown. True racism is love for one's own kind and the desire to preserve it undiluted. And if that means excluding other races, that is just too bad. Other races among us naturally serve themselves at our expense, wolves among the sheep a predicament which cannot be avoided in the presence of mixed races. The first law of the Bible is kind after kind, a concept which is repeated many times in the opening chapters of Genesis. Then, after being introduced to every creature and finding no suitable mate, when a mate is made for him, Adam declares that she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, the first law of marriage. The Apostle Jude described fornication as the going-after of strange, or different, the Greek word heteros means different, flesh. And in his first epistle to the Corinthians, Paul of Tarsus used that same word, fornication, to describe the race-mixing which occurred in Numbers chapter 25 on the plains of Moab. Fornication in the New Testament often describes race mixing, and fornication is condemned as a sin. Where is fornication condemned in pagan Germanic literature or Icelandic literature? In pagan Greek literature, bastards are recognized, but not necessarily condemned. Yet, the Christian Bible states plainly that a bastard shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. Only from a Christian perspective could Hitler have even spoken of the duty of maintaining the race. Adolf Hitler also believed that personal sacrifice for the benefit of one's people was a peculiar trait of Aryans. This is found in Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 11 the readiness to sacrifice one's personal work, and, if necessary, even one's life for others shows its most highly developed form in the Aryan race. And Hitler certainly believed that Jesus Christ was an Aryan, and he correctly believed that, even if he didn't really understand why the Jews were not Israelites or Hebrews or why the Old Testament was not a Jewish book. So he says, the greatness of the Aryan is not based on his intellectual powers, but rather on his willingness to devote all his faculties to the service of the community. Here the instinct for self-preservation has reached its noblest form, for the Aryan willingly subordinates his own ego to the common weal. And when necessity calls, he will even sacrifice his own life for the community. This we have seen is a Christian principle. The concept of stardom, which is popular in recent times, is actually antithetical to Christianity. To the Jew, a unified nation is anathema. So, one tendency of the Jew is to divide society by creating the star or personality. This fragments the nation into a collection of individuals, each seeking after their own interests and not caring for the interests of the nation. It is not by chance that the Jews also love to call them idols. There are many other similar comments on self-sacrifice throughout Mein Kampf, but this principle is generally not found in pagan Germanic poetry. Or at least I have not seen it, and I believe that one would be quite hard-pressed to find sufficiently convincing examples. What I have seen from the Eddas, from the Nibelungenlied, and other such works, is an emphasis on personal glorification and enrichment, and a willingness to intermarry with those of other nations or races if there is a perception that it may benefit things such as trade and diplomatic relations. This is entirely evident in the Nibelungenlied, where the Burgundian princess Kriemhild is quickly married off to Attila the Hun after the murder of her husband Siegfried. And, in Attila, Krimhild thought that she had a sure way of avenging her husband against her own countrymen and brethren. In the end, Hagen, her husband's killer, was slain. But so was her brother, the Burgundian King Gunther, and then Krimhild herself, all out of the undue desires for vengeance and for gold. Adolf Hitler understood the words of Christ that those who seek to follow him must follow his example and devote their lives to the well-being of their race. Adolf Hitler did just that, standing in defiance of world Jewry and their debt slavery monetary system, just as Christ overthrew the tables of the money changers in the temple. Christ died at the hands of the Romans and at the instigation of the Jew. And America and Britain destroyed Adolf Hitler and National Socialist Germany at the instigation of those same Jews for that same reason. Have Anglo-Americans as a people followed Christ by slaying their own German brethren on behalf of the Antichrist Jews. The resulting multicultural mess which we are embroiled in today, where we are overrun with Orientals, Arabs, Mestizos, and Blacks, is our reward for doing the work of Satan, which is world Jewry. We have reaped what our grandparents had sown, Yahweh, our God, foresaw all of this, and when we ever repent, He will save us from it. But repentance must be preceded by a recognition of one's sin. Christian statements and concepts are expressed on nearly every page of Mein Kampf. But Hitler expressed Christian concepts which have not been taught in the churches, since before the days of Constantine. Hitler was not faking this. Hitler was not merely giving lip service to a Judeo-Christian Germany. Hitler was raised a Catholic, and unlike their Protestant cousins, Roman Catholic Germans traditionally opposed Jewry. Hitler's exhibition of Christian concepts in Mein Kampf are wholly authentic, and when he came to power eight years later, he fully implemented them in his governance of Germany. There is an example in his adaptation of the words of Christ in Luke chapter 4, where he said, Verily I say to you that not one prophet is acceptable in his fatherland. Then there is another and later event where the idea is repeated, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 13 and they were offended by him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not dishonored, except in his own fatherland and household. Adolf Hitler must have read these words of Christ, and having observed the truth which they bear in his own everyday intercourse, he made the following assessment, which is from Volume 1, Chapter 11 of Mein Kampf. Just as in our daily life, The so-called man of genius needs a particular occasion and sometimes indeed a special stimulus to bring his genius to light. So, too, in the life of the peoples, the race that has genius in it needs the occasion and stimulus to bring that genius to expression. In the monotony and routine of everyday life, even persons of significance seem just like the others and do not rise beyond the average level of their fellow men. but as soon as such men find themselves in a special situation which disconcerts and unbalances the others the humble person of apparently common qualities reveals traits of genius often to the amazement of those who have hitherto known him in the small things of everyday life that is the reason why a prophet only seldom counts for something in his own country it can be established in scripture that the tree of life is an allegory representing god or christ and his own Adamic race, the white race which he created. As he told his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. The fall of Adam was caused by a race-mixing event described in the parable of Genesis chapter 3. A similar race-mixing event on a greater scale is described in Genesis chapter 6. Adolf Hitler must have recognized these scriptures in the same way that we, as identity Christians, also understand them, as he professed that the sin against blood and race is the hereditary sin in this world, and it brings disaster on every nation that commits it. If we keep our race, and he said that in Volume 1, Chapter 10 of My comp. If we keep our race, we have eternal life because we have that spirit which Yahweh our God designed into our DNA. And we cannot die because our seed is in us, as the Apostle John explains in his first epistle in chapter 3. And as Paul explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If we mix our race, we partake in the sin unto death, from which Esau could not repent. While Esau himself was an Adamic man, he lost his birthright because he had no legitimate heirs to leave it to. We must cleave to our own kind in order to have life. We must put forth our hands, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. So Hitler understood that it was race-mixing which caused the fall of the Adamic race from paradise. Then, in Mein Kampf, Volume 2, Chapter 2, Adolf Hitler said that it is the Aryan who is the creator and custodian of civilization. This was the commission of Adam, to cultivate a garden, which is also an allegory for something greater, as he was to have dominion over all creation. Furthermore, Hitler clearly understood the creation of the white man in the image of God, of race mixing as the sin of Adam which caused his expulsion from the garden, and of the Aryan white man's need to safeguard his race from repeating that sin. No Jew, no pagan, and no pawn for Jews or pagans could possibly understand this so clearly. So he wrote, in Volume 2, Chapter 1 of Mein Kampf, titled, Weltanschauung and Party. For in a world which would be composed of mongrels and negroids, all ideals of human beauty and nobility, and all hopes of an idealized future for our humanity, would be lost forever. On this planet of ours... Human culture and civilization are indissolubly indissolubly bound up with the presence of the Aryan. If he should be exterminated or subjugated, then the dark shroud of a new barbarian era would enfold the earth. To undermine the existence of human culture by exterminating its founders and custodians would be an execrable crime in the eyes of those who believe that the folk idea lies at the basis of human existence. Whoever would dare to raise a profane hand against that highest image of God among his creatures and he's obviously not counting mongrels and negroids among them, would sin against the bountiful creator of this marvel It's a sin against God. And would collaborate in the expulsion from paradise. Genesis chapter 3 describes that same sort of sin. Genesis chapter 3 is not a story about a piece of fruit. A story very convenient to the Jew who is the descendant of the serpent the seed of the serpent. The Jew wants you to believe that Genesis chapter 3 is about apples and mere disobedience. The Semitic idioms of Genesis chapter 3 are also found in the works of related Semitic cultures, such as the Akkadian Epic of Gilgamesh. And it's very clear that Genesis chapter 3 is a tale of sexual seduction and racial corruption. The entire book of Genesis also represents what Hitler had said, that the folk idea is the basis of human existence. The offspring of such a disaster surely shall not see the kingdom of heaven At John chapter 3, the words of Christ inform us, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man should be born from above, and he's speaking about the circumstances of a man's actual birth, he is not able to see the kingdom of Yahweh. With that understanding, in Volume 1, Chapter 11, titled Race and People, in Mein Kampf, Hitler wrote, for the original sin committed in paradise, has always been followed by the expulsion of the guilty parties. This Christian concept is found throughout Mein Kampf, and it was never a pagan concept. There are many other such citations which may be made. Adolf Hitler also stood understood, to get into the more obscure, aspects of scripture. Adolf Hitler also understood the animal nature in man and the ability of man to rise above that nature, where he wrote the following in that same chapter of Mein Kampf. Among the most primitive organisms is the The instinct for self-preservation does not extend beyond the care of the individual ego. Even the mothers of animals, when the animals, when their offspring reach a certain age, will have nothing to do with them. Egotism, as we call this passion, is so predominant that it includes even the time element which means that the present moment is deemed the most important and that nothing is left to the future. And this is the observable attitude of the non-white races. They eat and pillage everything and have no care for saving for tomorrow or for stewardship. The animal lives only for itself, searching for food only when it feels hunger and fighting only for the preservation of its own life. That's the character of the Negro. As long as the instinct for self-preservation manifests itself exclusively in such a way, there is no basis for the establishment of a community, not even the most primitive form of all, that is to say, the family. The society formed by the male with the female, where it goes beyond the mere conditions of mating, calls for the extension of the instinct of self-preservation, since the readiness to fight for one's ego has to be extended also to the mate. The male sometimes provides food for the female, but in most cases both parents provide food for the offspring. Almost always they are ready to protect and defend each other so that here we find the first, though infinitely simple, manifestation of the spirit of sacrifice. As soon as the spirit extends beyond the narrow limits of the family, we have the conditions under which larger associations and finally even states can be formed. In his epistle to the Romans in chapter 7, Paul of Tarsus went to great lengths, to describe the inherently sinful nature of the fleshly man and the fact that understanding the laws of God, man could overcome that fleshly nature and strive for a higher spiritual ideal. That spiritual ideal is explained again in contrast to the sinful works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. That spiritual ideal is necessary for man to lay aside the ego and seek the kingdom of heaven, conduct himself in a way that's amenable to all of his brethren so that they can all function together as a society. Here, Adolf Hitler was describing that exact same concept but in his own words. While it is my own contention that the base races can never achieve that ideal, and history proves that as well, Hitler understood that only the Aryan man could extend the concept to the level of an entire nation or kingdom, but the spiritual ideal could never be abandoned for the base desires of commerce as the ancient Israelites had also done, and for which they were condemned in Hosea chapter 2. In the National Socialist German Economic Policy, we read under the subtitle, State and Business. The basis for all government intervention in business in Germany is to be found in the National Socialist conception of the relation between business and the state. According to the German theory, business is subordinated to the state. Formerly, like it is in America today, formerly, like it is everywhere in Europe now, it was believed that the fate of the state and of the nation lay in business. So, corporations control the state. That's the situation found throughout the West today. For it was said that business was of such great importance and so powerful that it controlled the state and determined state policies. Of course, it was said by Jews and promoted in the Jewish media until it became a factoid and then a matter of fact. In the National Socialist State, the relation between business and state is just the contrary. Today, the state or state policy controls or rules business. I must emphasize that in national socialist eyes the state incorporates itself in no no in itself no absolute value as is the case for instance in an absolute monarchy <clears throat> the supreme value is the nation which we call in german volksgemeinschaft the community of the nation the state is only the form of organization and the manifestation of the will of the people. Hitler himself defined the concept of state in Volume 1, Chapter 4 of Mein Mein Kampf, subtitled Munich. The state is a community of living beings who have kindred physical and spiritual natures. It's God, the God of the Bible, who had drawn the borders and determined the existence of the nations. The state is a community of living beings who have kindred, physical, and spiritual natures, and Yahweh God drew borders among the nations, separating those people of kindred, physical, and spiritual natures. This is a Christian concept. It's not a pagan concept. Organized for the purpose of assuring the conservation of their own kind, and to help towards fulfilling those ends which providence has assigned to that particular race or racial branch. Therein, and therein alone, lie the purpose and meaning of a state. Economic activity is one of the many auxiliary means which are necessary for the attainment of those aims. But economic activity is never the origin or purpose of a state except where a state has been originally founded on a false and unnatural basis. This means that the state is not concerned with economic conditions as long as they do not conflict with the welfare of the nation. The principle of private initiative has been maintained. Like Christ did, Hitler also respected property rights. However where it seems necessary to bring business into line with the welfare of the nation, the state will not hesitate to intervene and direct business into the desired channels. In Germany, contrary to the usual belief, we have no planned economy, but rather a directed economy, if I may use such an expression. Now Hitler contrasted National Socialism to Marxism at the end of Volume 1, Chapter 2 of Mein Kampf study and suffering in Vienna. And he wrote, The Jewish doctrine of Marxism repudiates the aristocratic principle of nature and substitutes for it the eternal privilege of force and energy, numerical mass and its dead weight. Thus it denies the individual worth of the human personality, impugns the teaching that nationhood and race have a primary significance. And by doing this, it takes away the very foundations of human existence and human civilization. Its anti-racism is based on Marxism. If the Marxist teaching were to be accepted as the foundation of the life of the universe, it would lead to the disappearance of all order that is conceivable to the human mind. And thus the adoption of such a law would provoke chaos in the structure of the greatest organism that we know, with the result that the inhabitants of this earth, of this earthly planet, would finally disappear. Should the Jew, with the aid of his Marxist creed, triumph over the people of this world, his crown will be the funeral wreath of mankind. And this planet will once again follow its orbit through ether without any human life on its surface as it did millions of years ago. And so I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. In standing guard against the Jew, I am defending, defending the handiwork of the Lord. The entire biblical concept of mystery Babylon, which the dragon, the Jew, is behind, informs us that it is a system of world trade to which men become enslaved to the point where even they themselves become commodities. It is evident in the books of the prophets, but even more so in Revelation chapter 18. That is the path to which both Marxism and capitalism lead. Hitler recognized it, and therefore, that is the path which National Socialism had resisted. The directed economy of National Socialism, therefore, was purposely designed with the intent that the German sovereignty would be assured, that business interests would not triumph over the welfare of the people, and that germany would not suffer an invasion of aliens which hitler saw as inevitable if the capitalist system had prevailed so he wrote in mein kampf volume two chapter two which we have already cited to undermine the existence of human culture by exterminating its founders and custodians would be an execrable crime in the eyes of those who believe that the Folk idea lies at the basis of human existence. Whoever would dare to raise a profane hand against that highest image of God, the white man, among his creatures, would sin against the bountiful creator of this marvel, and would collaborate in the expulsion from paradise. Mein Kampf is a recognition of world problems from a particular German-Christian point of view, explained using Christian language and symbols, and presenting solutions to those problems for Germany through a return to basic Christian principles. Therefore, National Socialism is Christian in its very essence. But because modern so-called Christians have been absorbed in church language and customs and ornaments, nothing of which are truly Christian, and in the false doctrines of universal churches, they cannot even recognize National Socialist Christianity. In Adolf Hitler's National Socialism, Christianity may not always may not have always been explicit, but much more importantly, it was inherent. It is the thread from which the spirit of National Socialism was woven. I would not trust anything that was written in the names of National Socialists since the end of the war, even if those names are Martin Bormann or Albert Speer. The Allied victory in the war ushered in an age of Jewish supremacism, and practically everything printed in the mainstream since then has been purposely fashioned sub- to subject to Jewish interests, even the books from Bormann and Speer. When I decided on this presentation, I thought I could finish it in a single evening. But there are still many things to discuss. We will revisit this subject again, Yahweh willing, in the near future. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel and the eternal enemy of every Jew. And good night.